I do. I do keep like petting my beard now. I'm growing my beard out to get the like Che Gorilla Fighter beard going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's it's very. I keep like twirling it and stuff diabolically. Oh, I wish um, I could do that. Yeah, you could. I actually, I actually do play with my armpit hair a lot. I wear a lot yeah. of tank tops and stuff. It's very satisfying. But yeah. we're trying to grow the beard out so then when we become gorilla fighters and, and have to move to the Sierra Nevada, I'll be ready. Yeah, when we become the first Yosemite gorilla army. Yeah. Why do you need a beard to do that job? Because it just... looks cool. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so no one makes fun of me. <laughs> you need a beard, a cool hat, and some sort of way to smoke tobacco in a cool way. Either a cigar, yeah. a hand-rolled cigarette, or a pipe. Pipe, mm-hmm. yeah. I'd probably go with the pipe. Although the modern day gorilla fighter is just going to vape. Oh, well, <laughs> as long as you vape in a cool way, that that just has to be your spin vape on it. Vape pipe. Yeah. Yeah, we're just going to like set up the Yosemite Valley Autonomous Zone. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm starting. Periodically to descend into like Lone Pine or someplace for to raid the like yeah. Carl's Jr. for Impossible well, Burgers. The Tioga, Tioga Road opens on Monday, so it'll be ready for you when you get here. Perfect. So we have a supply route now. <laughs> All right. Speaking of which, um, I Yosemite started giving away permits, and I got on at seven a.m. the other day and was <laughs> manically refreshing the page. And the site crashed. To try to get a day permit, and the site crashed. And yeah. Uh, I, went, I went on the Yosemite subreddit, and people were complaining about it. And um, yeah, I but it's not to, like it's not like a show where like all the good tickets sold out. It was like by the end of that first day, or I think even by the second day, there was only one day that was actually sold out, and it was like I think this Saturday. Well, I just did it because somebody told me to be on exactly at 7 a.m. So well, yeah, I thought there was going to be more demand, honestly. So, yeah, I'm kind of We did surprised. manage to get a permit. I actually got a permit for this weekend, which I'm probably not going to be able to go. So yeah. I won't be able to see you in person well, in IRL. But in the next few weeks, I probably will go a few times. Which is That's great. okay. You need to get your resources in order to mobilize for the autonomous zone. Wait, are you going to go climbing <laughs> and then at the end of the trip set up the autonomous zone? Or are you going to climb after setting up the autonomous zone? We're going to climb to the, the autonomous zone is going to be set up on LCAP. <laughs> okay. I feel like that's <laughs> already sort of true. It's a defensible position. Yeah. yeah. It's got a great okay. vantage point. It's got nice views. True. It's everything yeah. you could want. How long could you zone. comfortably like portal edge? Do you think, you know, if, if somebody was bringing you food and stuff? Oh, indefinitely. If you're someone was bringing you supplies and stuff, yeah, you could definitely. What if, but your muscles would like atrophy. I guess you could like climb up and then wrap down, run back and forth (laughs) on your portal ledge, (laughs) jumping jacks. It's kind of like that really old school like environmentalist shit where people would like sit up in trees and stuff for a long time. Yeah, exactly. You just would trade off with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what we're gonna have to do when Yosemite is finally opened up to drilling and mining. We're gonna have to. Occupy the walls. Yeah. yeah. Are there any viable well, resources on LCAP, do you think? There's uh there's snow melt, so you can have water. Yeah. Well you would minerals. get blinded from the people projecting movies onto the wall of LCAP every night. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> Your million dollar idea. Probably would also just get drone striked. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. You'd be so easy to snipe. Damn, son, where'd you find this? I have been thinking a lot about these protests and how we apply the tactics to environmental stuff that we care about. Not to try to like co-opt what's going on or whatever, but tactic-wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the autonomous sh- zones, environmental <laughs> autonomous zones. Yeah, I mean Burning the shits down ranger stations. Yeah, I mean the shit's working. So, um, like, there is going to be some not just minor police reform, but major police reform, and some in some cases even defunding the police um the officers are getting charged so like all the stuff that people say is doesn't work like burning down targets and shit is clearly working yeah yeah so i mean think about that with from an environmental perspective and now all of a sudden like blowing up roads that lead to mine sites or like uh destroying pipelines and shit sounds a lot more um like a good 
method rather than yeah. raising awareness through like canvas tote bags or something. Well, the thing with that is that that's that there are a lot of organizations. There's a lot of like Earth Liberation Front, Animal Liberation Front. There's a lot of groups who have already been doing that. Like these, the the tactics and and the destruction of property and the occupation of certain spaces. Um, it's not really anything new to protest moves. I mean, this has not historically been a new thing. I think what's the new, the thing that's most effective in this current campaign is just the mass mobilization of people. Mm-hmm. I think if we could, you could apply the same stuff to like a lot of the environmental aspects, like protecting rainforests or pre- pre- preventing a lot of these oil drilling sites and stuff. And we've already seen that kind of stuff in like Dakota, um, the pipe and there's a lot of other places that have historically been doing that already in the Pacific Northwest and places who people who are occupying forests and, you know, putting themselves on tree. But the difference is that this one just has such a wide movement behind it. Like the mass populace that actually has joined in. So I think that's the biggest t- key is that you have to figure out how to get people, the, the wide amount of people as upset as they are about the issues that are going on with black people. Um, and kind of mobilizing that and, and manifesting that energy into addressing other issues. I think one of the most interesting things that I've kind of learned from this is that, and I think this has been one of the hurdles for me thinking about environmental activism is you actually don't have to take the fight to where the the thing is going on. Like you don't actually don't have to go to the border to protest the border wall. You could actually just burn down a target in your neighborhood. <laughs> burn down a target in the name of yeah abolish yeah well i mean because that's what's so cool about this is like you know there's protests in all 50 states right now and it's not anywhere near um minneapolis but yeah. now minneapolis is feeling the pressure to um do something about it yeah i think so i think the thing was that it just feels like a more universal thing like it, it is happening in cities that are not minneapolis but this the thing that happened in minneapolis is very sort of ubiquitous it's very felt in a lot of other cities and because uh, it's not just the minneapolis police department that was overfunded that was engaging all these efforts of police brutality it's happening in all, every city everywhere and i think people are trying to realize that now and that video of george floyd just kind of made me more aware of that versus environmental issues i think people don't have that awareness and that consciousness yet yeah it's not it's definitely not as immediate i think there is a lot of awareness amongst all classes and races and locations of people about the the long-term effects of climate change but it's not quite as visceral as seeing you know an officer murder somebody in cold blood in yeah. a video do you think there will be a tipping point event that pushes people to mobilize like this quickly and effectively i hope not i personally think <laughs> i th- i think it'll be more some of the human atrocities that take place because of climate change where there's going to be this massive refugee crises and stuff like that and then the reaction of that is going to be eco-fascism where the countries that do ha- still have resources or um, manage to not get too fucked up by the climate crisis are going to start just um, doing insane things to protect their status. Yeah. That's, the United States is going to be one of those places. It's already going out yeah. on to some extent, but that's already happening. Like, yeah, I was going to say like the, the massive caravans of immigrants that are coming in from Central American countries, a lot of them are coming because of their governmental collapse or because of just being riddled with crime and drugs and a lot of just corruption. Uh, but a huge portion of that is also just their climate refugees. They are people who are trying to escape the effects of climate change and who are, that's why they're migrating stuff. And, and yeah, it is already manifesting in this eco-fascism stuff. Like the border wall is, is an eco-fascist apparatus. Like there, there's no other way to think about the, the border wall as anything other than a, a response to preventing these immigrants from coming in as from trying to escape and trying to get them away. And they're trying to survive these environmental disasters. And it's a method, a way of preventing them from doing that. Yeah, and you're starting to see clashes um, among classes in California, too, over things like water rights. Um, I know there's a lot of stuff in South Africa about that, too, where, you know, dams are taking water from one community and diverting it to another. Um, That's going to be the start of something bigger. Yeah. But yeah, so as far as like uh, inciting incident, that's going to draw enough of a public change the public consciousness enough and make awareness so you have like just everyday people actually mobilizing and protesting for environmental change um i don't know i i that's the unfortunate thing is that i think it would have to be something so catastrophic and terrible in order to actually mobilize people into making any kind of change i i was sure that with the pandemic the, the current coronavirus pandemic that would have been one of the things that helps mobilize people. But as we've seen, like people are just so pacified and 
and oppressed and oppressed by themselves and by just all the things that they've been inundated by that that's not the case. Like this should have been a massive turning point. This pandemic should have been another inciting incident to bring about really significant change. And it hasn't. Yeah. For a lot of things I thought, um, I thought Medicare for all was just going to get like crazy support after this. Yeah. And it's just not part of the news at all. Like you're not hearing anyone talk about that for the beginning of the pandemic. People were talking about it a little bit, but now it's not even on the radar. And same thing with uh, landlords and um, housing being a, a human right. Yeah, I thought I thought people were just going to wake up to that during the pandemic, and then it's just gone away. That's just not in the news at all. And um, and so, kind of think tying this to sort of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, um, there is an issue of environmentalism, obviously impacting it being a social justice issue as well. Too, there's a number of people who have spoken about this, and there's a lot of issues that associate in terms of like climate refugees and intersectional issues, um, and especially how a lot of these things like very um, disproportionately affect Black people, affect people of color, especially affect people in the global South. So in the current um, administration, the current pandemic, the current riots that are and protests that are happening right now, where we're seeing seeing is the there's a continuation of these uh, rollbacks of environmental laws. Trump just recently rolled back a few environmental regulations to make it easier to pass and sell land to people. Um, I think he also pushed back a bit on some of the Endangered Species Act. Um, and so we've, we've mentioned that a, bit, a couple of times in the past of how Trump has been very effective in rolling back environmental regulations. But even now, in the face of this pandemic and in the face of this sort of societal upheaval, like he's still finding the time to pass and destroy a lot of these environmental protection legislations, which are going to disproportionately affect black people. So when you talk yeah. about like racism and, and race, racism being systemic, that's, that's an aspect of what people talk about. It's like, it's not just the police oppressing, literally killing black people, killing people of color. It's not just um, these like racist statues or Confederate flags flying, things like that. It's more systemic where you even have like environmental issues that are going to disproportionately affect people of color. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I know like the rates of asthma and things like that are so much higher in black communities because they tend to be closer to things like oil refineries or mines. Yeah. And you're just going to see more and more of that. Yeah. So if you're like are into the outdoors, if you're an environmentalist, you consider yourself an environmentalist or at least someone who just enjoys the spaces. It's it's another thing that helps prevent people of color from accessing the outdoors is that they physically are being polluted on. They're being having all this waste dumped on them, having like drilling runoff uh, manure runoff from factory farms and animal agriculture they're literally just having higher rates of asthma so they physically can't go out into these spaces and they're the most they're most affected by these environmental issues i think one thing that's been um interesting for me to see at least in the protests in albuquerque that i've been going to is the the acknowledgement of the intersectionality between all of these issues and that as activists, we actually we don't have time or the energy to care about all of these things as individual issues. So the logical solution for this is the end of capitalism. <laughs> like you can't the amount of time we're all putting into trying to get police um, defunded right now is working. But then while we're doing this, Trump is rolling back these environmental things because we don't have time as act as an activist community to do all this at the same time. And that's going to be the nature of capital. As soon as they see like a little, you know, a little weakness in our armor, they're going to like, oh, we can pass all these bills right now while everybody's focused on this other thing. And it, it is a war against these people. Like, and it's, they play it like a battlefield st strategy with, yeah. oh, look, they're, they're strong over here, but we're going to have to cede that ground to them because they're winning. But while they're doing that, we can strategize over here to like pass all these bills or do this other nefarious evil shit that we do. And it's, and it's not to say that we shouldn't focus on police brutality or racism in America, obviously like there, there has to be, this is currently, that's the focus point as activists. Yeah. God, I hope it, I didn't come yeah. off sounding like that. <laughs> yeah. And every activist <laughs> space right now, there is a discussion of intersectionality. Like I'm a member of I work for a nonprofit and I'm a member of a lot of different organizations that address issues about different social justice issues from animal rights to immigrant rights. And everybody in every one of those communities is currently taking a second to like 
to continue doing work in those fields, but also acknowledging that there's larger systemic issues with how black people are treated in this country. And it's the same thing, like environmentalists, you see them as well, too, because they're talking about like how this disproportionately affects black people as well. A lot of these issues, uh, like I've said already, um, but that so that. But at the same time, we can't also let up that there's other issues as well, too, that we that these are all things that fall under the umbrella of issues with capitalism, issues mm-hmm. with capital that addressing we have to address that root cause. And a lot of the reforms that are being introduced in a lot of these aspects just don't go far enough. It's been interesting to see the um, again, going to these protests and how like wide the scope is for them. You know, there's a lot of people that you don't normally see an activist community coming out, which is great. Yeah. Um and seeing that some of these affluent white people are more, they're being exposed to some of these ideas for the first time, like hearing about uh, slave labor in our prison systems and how like, it's not just police brutality on the street. It's the systemic thing with getting people locked up in the private prison contracts and the slave labor that's produced from having people locked up and how that goes back into the politicians pockets and this huge cycle. And then seeing like these, people that have never been exposed to these ideas like their eyes are just huge and they're just like holy (laughs) shit we live in like this insane world that i had no insight into and then it's been interesting to see the the minorities and the the poor people are just like they take to that so intuitively it's like well yeah of course it's like that everything's fucking stacked against us and always has been yeah especially in new mexico with the indigenous people it's like oh yeah of course rich white people are fucking us out of everything all the time on multiple fronts that's intuitive to me it's it's really amazing just seeing how many different people are becoming involved in this issue the issue of of the systemic racism and acknowledging and addressing it, even within our own little backpacking outdoor community, how many people are like really standing up to and posting about it. Like there's different like quote unquote hiking influencers, brands, companies who we in the last episode, we talked a lot about the company's responses and stuff. And, but there, it is amazing just to see that how many people are responding, regardless of what your, your sport is, your activity is, your niche is, like you have to say something about this. And if you don't say something about it, you're going to immediately get called out about yeah. not saying something, which uh, we can talk a little bit about a certain someone who got, <laughs> who got blasted for that. Um, I feel like but, there's a uh, few someone's who've been getting blasted for that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a ton of people who are that within our little realm. There's a lot of people as well too. Um, but the one thing I do want to get into, and I think it's important to talk about like the intersectionality of a lot of these issues is um, in the last episode, we talked about how different companies have made just these platitudes, these statements that are at face value, just like very non-committal and they are don't actually make any change or they don't actually have any action or weight behind them. They're just brand, they're marketing, basically. Their statements are just a way for these companies to market themselves. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about how we can actually support black people and people of color in the outdoor spaces. Cause that's something that's kind of been talking about. We talked about that a lot, a few episodes ago, but it was just more kind of joking around. And I want to offer like an actual framework of things that we can actually do and things that we can tell to white people and to people of color as well, too, because a lot of the attention has been uh, around the current movement has been focused on educating white people and making white people to do things about it or care about this stuff. But there's also like a need, I think, from what I've seen is just to talk to other people of color uh, about some of these things. There's only one thing you can do. And that's take over whole neighborhoods in your city, establish an autonomous zone, and then give it back to indigenous people. <laughs> but what if those areas don't have any outdoor space or like any but green space? It doesn't matter. You still have to do it. Everything needs taken. Yeah. But then that's not going to help get them access to the outdoors. They need more. Yeah. They, need, they need it all. <laughs> That is on the list. It is on. <laughs> it's one of the lighter things you can do. Let's let's start off easy. Let's start off with like very. Let's start with the baby steps. Torture cop car. Torture cop car. <laughs> if you want to um, help bring people into the outdoors, just fight cop. <laughs> uh, the first thing you can do, I think, there's a lot of different guides. The the Trek has one. The Atlantic has one as well too. The Atlantic one is is, is pretty interesting. It was written in conjunction with REI. Um, so there's an Atlantic article titled Five Ways to Make the Outdoors More Inclusive. Um, their five steps, it was again written by written in conjunction with REI, was to write, ha- hire historians to write the backstories of outdoor spaces. Woo! So basically, um, hire <laughs> furball. <laughs> Hell yeah. 
I will and say that... like the the park service is actually getting really good about this. Like there is a is a more recent movement to tell the stories of like pre uh pre park service areas or like pre park service eras of parks. That sounds confusing. But like what like telling the story of Yosemite before white people came here in 1860s like no one really cared about that until recent decades like visitors wouldn't really ask those types of questions if they cared about the native populations it was sort of like a weird like fucked up human zoo type situation where they would love to like see them camping and living in Yosemite and then they'd like buy their baskets at the gift shop or whatever um but there is more of a movement to um do a lot more like cultural resource management and do more of the history work that needs to be done. I think the the problem is that the the history work is being done and people have done it and know the information, but it's just a matter of in, incorporating that into um, the, the messaging that the park chooses to give out. So like every park has kind of an interpretive plan of the points that they have deemed important. So, you know, Yosemite's might be about geology and how glaciers can form the valley and it might be about like all the wildlife and all the plant life and stuff um but there also is a point in there about talking about the cultural history of the area and the awanichi people who lived here but in some parks that's not really part of the story um and i don't know if that has to come from like more people asking those questions if then it'll be kind of pushed into the park's priorities to talk about or if it has to come from above um i'm not sure but i think that's that's the answer is that there is a lot of the, the history work, like the groundwork of doing that research is being done. Um, it's just a matter of like, how to how do we figure out how to disseminate that to people? Yeah, that's a, the key thing too, is just um, with that is the sort of sub question, sub subcategories of that, that first point is to lobby to create historical memorials and to seek property grants for these memorials. Because a lot of these public spaces are, are dependent on public grants or property grants. And so they, they need funding. So that's the kind of thing is just to help encourage them, those, these places to be built up to these memorials to be built up to it, that actually acknowledge the indigenous history um, in the South, acknowledge the racial history, the exclusion of black people and things like that. If it was up to me, every single entrance to every national park would just have a giant sign that says like, this is stolen land and actually belongs to mm-hmm. and then the name of the tribe. And then that you, you, that's the first thing you would see upon entering. Yeah. I'll do you one better. And it should say, you know, welcome to the Pueblo reservation of Zion or what, you know, whatever (laughs) tribe was there, you know, they should just give it back. And I have actually heard, I don't know if this is on here because I didn't read the list, of course. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, I've seen people propose plans where the, um, all the national parks and federal lands actually are given back to indigenous people for stewardship. Yeah, that would be, I mean, for every national park, for every public land, that should be like the first thing we do is just give the land back. Yeah. Well, or at that's least it. Give them the Problem option solved. <laughs> well, I will say so. After um, we talked a little bit about NAGPRA a couple episodes ago, we were talking about the Arizona border wall thing, but it's a Native American Graves um, Protection and Repatriation Act. So it means that like a lot of this is past like late 80s, early 90s, I think, but um, a lot of park service museum collections will have like stuff that was basically looted from Native American burial sites or graves um, that was excavated by archaeologists kind of before our modern standards of best practices were put in place. And those items, as a result of NAGPRA, have to be repatriated back to the tribes. So that means that we offer them back to the tribes, but oftentimes um, the tribes don't have, you know, a beautiful federally funded climate controlled facility that they can store all this stuff in. Um, And we have that um so often i think like the it's it's great to give the tribes the option because then they can they can come in and use objects if they want to like take a ceremonial rattle back and use it um they have the rain they have like free right to to be using the objects but ultimately like the the safekeeping they still will leave to the parks just because it's better for the objects but yeah i think if it at least to give people the option to manage it but like if i don't know I don't know. I'm envisioning like a future of our parks without the robust staff of like resource management scientists and other people that um, staff the park that keep it running. Like if we were to just 
leave them empty i don't i don't know at this point well but i don't think that's the plan for like returning stewardship to the right but like do they do they have the resources to be staffing well it would still have to be federally funded and they would be it would just like they would be in charge of it instead of david bernhardt yeah yeah you know yeah i mean yeah they're, they're supposed to do like tribal consultation like they're i think they're getting more involved than they have been historically um like any major project has to go through tribal consultation or at least, you know, you have to give the tribes a heads up. Uh, every park has like affiliated tribes, um, traditionally affiliated tribes that it has to like run stuff by. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing an increase in that type of involvement for sure. Yeah. I just read something recently that was really like stuck in my brain. That was just you, if, if your end goal isn't to return land to indigenous people, then you're not actually an anti-colonialist. Yeah. Like you can say you're against colonialism all you want, but if you don't have a goal at the end of your, like whatever your activism is to like, yeah, but at the end of the day, this land should be returned to these people. Um, then then what are you really doing? You're still a colonialist. Uh, that's, that's a great point, obviously. And I would love to see that. Great. But uh, the, that's a harder sell for white to make to white people, really. Like, are you yeah, for prepared? Sure as a white person to give up your house, to cede your land back, to acknowledge that you are on stolen, very uh, for at least acknowledge you're on stolen land. Yeah. And then also give up where you're living, your comfort back to indigenous people and to let but them sort that's of, kind of agency over, over where you are. That's kind of like saying though, that like, um, like conflating the defund the police movement with not having police anymore, mm-hmm. like returning the land to the stewardship of, of indigenous peoples isn't saying that, you know, you're not going to have a house anymore. Yeah. I, I know it's people fair. would have to get educated on that. And I know this is, this is the kind of activism that like, Oh, this is our 50 year plan. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and what we were, before I went on this tangent, we were talking about the five ways the Atlantic suggests to make the outdoors more inclusive, which I'm sure doesn't include that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This that's these are just like starting points to me. These are like the baby white liberal steps that you can take. If you're, if you don't know where to start, like there's larger issues, obviously the systemic issues, the very least of which is like returning the land back, destroying capitalism. These are much larger scopes and we can obviously incorporate those into these discussions as well too. But at the very least, these are like the starting points. And I don't actually agree necessarily with everything that, the Atlantic says, uh, just because fuck the Atlantic. Yeah, you do. Um, you agree? Yeah, I don't know. I read some of these and I was like, nah. Like they suggest, I don't know. Some of these are just so like, come on. Like they want the the second step is to make all visitors feel welcome and secure, which is like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'm on board with that. But then they're like, update park rangers uniforms with a modern welcoming look. It's like, and then they talk about how in the UK their park system like has their uniforms is provided by Columbia or whatever. Yeah, so, so that, that makes them was an interesting looking. point. Is I do kind of agree with that, be, just because the park ranger uniform is just very militaristic. Um, it is, I, yeah. There is there is some like connection with, uh, with sort of the the frontier and sort of the, having that military outfit and things like that. And I've, from the park rangers that I've met and talked to, they hate that uniform. It's not functional at all. It's just designed <laughs> to to just have consistency and uniformity. It's obviously it's a uniform. But it is not functional. It's not very welcoming. It's it's yeah. not the black or blue of the fucking cop uniform. But it is still just like, it's not accessible. It's not approachable. And it definitely it's supposed to lend that that person a, a kind of authority in a mm-hmm. way. But is that really what you want in a park system like in a national park? Do you want like to feel like you're having to talk to cops in the park? Uniform suggestion: Smokey the Bear, no shoes. <laughs> High-waisted pants, no shirt, hat, shovel. Yeah, but the hat is the most notable <laughs> part. Like the hat is so stiff, and everyone like hates wearing it. Well, we can yeah. update the hat. I'm just really sold on the no shirt and no shoes. <laughs> How will they I wear agree. their name tag? Ultralight, uh, just the ultralight outfit of short shorts, thrift store shirt, and so uh, that could work. Dad cap. Yeah, and and just the, so that's part of it. Just making visitors feel more welcome. Um, the other, the other one next point was like creating underlying policies on diversity, which is like such a vague statement about a lot of different groups and organizations, corporations have departments of like equity and inclusion. Um, and for the most part, the ones that I've been a part of or worked with do nothing other than just write up things about diversity and inclusion or how they're striving Mm -hmm. to, but never actually make any changes. So that's kind of a, 
throw that one out. Um, the other one I think is the one that Jordan might agree with is uh, increasing economic accessibility, which means, mm -hmm. and that's just kind of addressing some of the underlying capitalistic issues of giving people a living minimum wage, having people um, not have to struggle financially for every waking moment of their being. Cause that is a huge impediment to accessing the outdoors is like, you can't go out, spend time in a national park if you have to work 80 hours a week just to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. You know me so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one too that i thought was really dumb was the make open spaces culturally representative and cool Ooh, better hashtags yeah, yeah. better hashtag get some, get some really good this looking people of color because in north face shirts one of the points is like oh reimagine parks as venues for cultural events and one of the things they suggest specifically is like why not launch a music festival near the Red Cliffs of Zion National Park in Utah? And I read this and like laughed because they fucking already have one. Like there's a music festival called the Zion Canyon Music Festival every September and it is cool and everyone goes. I was like, did y'all not fact check this at all? We are cool. Yeah, and the idea is just to have more shit like that where it's not just, where people just get comfortable in the outdoors and just treat it as like a venue. So it's some place that you feel like you can go to just in general, which I think for a lot of people of color, it goes a long way. So yeah. Travis Scott's playing at the bottom of Grand Canyon. Oh, that'd be so dope. Yeah. <laughs> you have to hike down. Um, and the other thing was, so that's the Atlantic suggestions. And there's a lot of other groups, and a lot of organizations that have posted a lot about this stuff. I'm not going to talk about some of those things. Go look them up there. Some of them are useful. Some of them are not. Here's my suggestions. Um, First of starting off with learning, learn about the history of these places. Like if you go backpacking, at the very least you can do, and this is something I'm not very good at. Uh, I'm trying to be better about it, looking up. Learn about the place you're going to. Learn about the history. Learn about which tribe's land you're on. Learn what the proper name of these places is called. Um, there's a lot of resources for that. There's a website you can look up um, where you can actually see, put a zip code in, and you can actually um, find out native lands. tribes. Hmm? There's an app too. Yeah. It is native land, um, native dash land. There's a lot of apps and a lot of different stuff like that where you can look up and just nice to look up to know where you're at and know the history of that place. Um, I think not only is it just like acknowledging that and acknowledging that it's not the, the land is not named after the fucking the white settler who was on that was actually has an indigenous history and like at the very least you can do that and it also just can help your experience in the outdoors like learning more about the place you're in yeah i think it's super um, cool to know like what what types of plants and stuff were traditionally gathered like having that knowledge of yosemite valley makes me look at a lot of these sites really differently like when i see like now i'm working a lot with the parks collection of ethnography and like historic baskets and stuff and now when i see like redbud or if i see like willow i'm like oh this is probably like the gathering site you know i can imagine the type of history that would have been there which is which is sadly in many cases really hard to imagine when you go to parks now because we have roads and buildings and cars everywhere and it's hard to actually like envision how life was like what life was like there before um before the place was a park so having that knowledge of plants especially for me has been really useful yeah that was a really cool part of my visit to glacier national park was learning about the the tribes there and stuff um because some of the like really beautiful areas there are incredibly harsh. Um, but, you know, typical like alpine stuff where like the metal, the meadows are super lush and beautiful and there's beautiful alpine lakes and stuff. But then, then the winter, it's under 80 feet of snow. Yeah. So learning about the, um, I can't remember the name of the tribe there. This speaks to your point, Jose. I should know this. I think, well, um, there's a, the Blackfeet <laughs> is the big one. And then there's a few other ones too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the fact that they were like semi migratory, like they moved between many glacier and then like the high glacier area, um, so that they could, you know, be not completely under snow all winter, but then they'd follow the, um, follow the animals up to the, up to the meadows in the summer. It was super cool to learn about. And then like imagining like hiking over the passes I was hiking over, you know, with my whole family and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. It's kind of cool to kind of fantasize about that stuff. Yeah. 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 It 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 heightens your experience there because it gives you puts helps you envision what other people experienced that long before any white people showed up. Um I think also especially places like in the south where there is a lot of sort of black history um 
reading about those places as well the history of those of some of those national parks as well too in addition to the indigenous but like starting off with like learning about the indigenous tribes that used to live there maybe moving on to learning more about some of the other people that live there as well too just not just the white inhabitants and the white settlers and stuff like that because so much of these parks histories really only starts around like late 1800s and 1900s and then and people are like and then all these nice white people came and started visiting these places and that's when <laughs> these parks history began but there's a ton of history before that so like that's what i've always stuff. thought was like missing from the interpretive exhibits i've been to in parks where they're like here's all this really cool stuff about the tribes that used to live here and then you like read the plaque or whatever and you're like dang that does sound really cool it's a shame that those people just magically disappeared <laughs> and like white people took it over. It's like left. they don't tell the stories about them getting kicked out of their land. Yeah. yeah. If people are if people are readers, I'll give a plug for the big book on the subject. I think it's written in 1999, maybe, or maybe early 2000s. And I don't think there's a there's a better one, but it's called Dispossessing the Wilderness. Um, Indian Removal and the Making of the National Parks is kind of like the seminal text on this. And and the introduction is really good, but then um, the author is Mark David Spence, and he talks specifically about Yellowstone, Yosemite, and Glacier, um, which are two that have really rich and well-documented histories of um, Indian removal in the formation of those public lands. But hopefully the NPS website for any, at least national park site that you visit will have, usually there's like a history section, and then there's a people and culture section that should at least have some of that information. And then if you ever speak to an interpretive ranger, they should be able to talk about that. Um, Wait. Hopefully. The park, the park websites have sections that aren't for getting permits. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> often overlooked. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So learning a lot about this stuff. Um, there's a couple other books. Um, the Adventure Gap is another one I've heard is really good. Um, I think Black Faces, White Spaces as well. Mm -hmm. And just picking up some of these books and learning about some of the histories, especially segregation, indigenous rights. Then. Other thing you can do, so that's the very, that's the baseline thing at the very least. If you're going to go outdoors, learn a little bit more about it. Um, something we can all do a little bit better. Um, there's a lot of other resources as well to read. Books like White Fragility. Um, and there's one other one I haven't heard of called Me and White Supremacy is also a really good one. supposed to help um, sort of talk a little bit about the connection between white people and white supremacy and the, the systematic racism and how to acknowledge it and address it and how to make changes. Um, white Fragility is also a great one. Um, white Fragility is a great for outdoors people who talk about not wanting race and politics in the outdoors because mm -hmm. that is the key fucking example of White Fragility of just mm -hmm. people, white people getting defensive when these issues are brought up. Someone did that on Can my I Instagram. I posted like, because <laughs> there's so many viewpoints in Yosemite that are all named after, they're pretty much all named after white people. I mean, there's a few native names in Yosemite, but they're usually like, really bad butcherings of like misunderstood native american words that they overheard or overheard or whatever um but yeah i like wrote something about uh i went i did this hike up to crocker point which is like a really beautiful viewpoint of the valley um and i just wrote like there's so many viewpoints you know after white dudes in this park like this one was named for charles crocker who was like he didn't do that anything that amazing he was just like like an investor who put a lot of money into the central pacific railroad and so they named the shit after him and then, yeah, this this chick commented, so sick of the hatred on white America. Not all of us are scumbags. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And that is a perfect example of white fragility. The point where somebody makes a comment about a fucking long deceased railroad tycoon and you take it as a fucking yeah. personal offense against your entire race. Like that is just definition of white fragility. Yeah. I wanna I wanna talk to the white the white folks for a second which is probably everybody that's listening to this. <laughs> I think uh, kind of on the other end of the spectrum of white fragility is just extreme white guilt, um, which I think anyone that's paying attention and has any sort of empathy that's that's a white person is going, going to feel. But I've been hearing some like POC um, activists talking about how like that isn't really helpful for like white people that are actually like worried about these causes and wanting to help to just sit around and feel like depressed like all oh, shooks why are my ancestors so bad i need to just sit on my couch and because like you even hear like protesters say like oh i don't want to like chant at the protest because that's a place for that's a space for like black leaders to do their chants and it's like that doesn't help and if anything we should be using the privilege and the power we have to help advance these causes like yes don't try to hijack like blm um 
don't try to hijack these movements and make sure that the the leaders that are actually involved on the ground are the ones still leading things. But also don't just be like a depressed sad sap and like not do anything about it because you just feel such overwhelming guilt. Yeah. yeah the yeah, reasoning behind your... like silence isn't isn't useful no matter the reasonings behind your silence. Whether you're silent because you don't know if you agree with the cause or you're silent because you agree but you don't feel like you have the space to voice your opinion like either way that's not useful for anyone yeah and hating yourself isn't useful for anyone either yeah like maybe if you're a cop or a billionaire (laughs) but but like as a normal person like like i know that um we'll probably get into we'll probably get into mental health when all this stuff's not going on um because i know we all have a lot to talk about with it but like it, the solution as a white person that cares isn't to just beat yourself up. Like mm-hmm. that's not healthy for you. That's not healthy for the people around you. And that doesn't accomplish anything. Unless you're so, physically beating yourself up, in which case go for it. <laughs> and you're a cop. Uh, I don't even, <laughs> if you're a cop, that's fine. But no, I, <laughs> but even like if you're, I don't know, if you're a cop and you hate yourself, that's valid because you're doing a shitty job. But like, even then do some self-care, quit your job. Don't be a cop anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like put yourself in a position where you can learn to love yourself and then empower people around you. I I would say like, go ahead. White people feel that guilt, but then do something proactive with it. You know, like, yeah. Take Mm -hmm. the resources um, or like acknowledge it at least. But yeah, I don't know. Even like me, like talking about these issues on this podcast, like every now and then I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't be the person to talk about this, but it's like, like we we just need as, we just need as many people (laughs) as possible talking about this shit. Like it's fine if you're white. Yeah, no, and I think it's very important, at least in this capacity, for white people to speak up and 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 talk, especially to other white people. I think, or or mostly mostly to other white people. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's the issue, and that's that like ties into my next point. Argue with people, like don't be afraid to be confrontational, especially like online in person. Um, just this is I've heard a lot this said a lot, and I really agree with this. Um, at, at this moment in time, it's always been true, but especially in this moment in time, it's not enough to not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. Like you cannot, yeah. you can't just not say the N word. You have to call out anybody who does say it. You have to stand up for these issues. You have to argue with people. You're you have to stake a stand. Like, and that's been the really heartwarming thing about these issues about the what's going on. It's obviously a very fucked up situation and it's tragic that it's happening in this way. But at the same time, I'm I'm being very like optimistic and being maybe optimistic by seeing how much white people are stepping up, especially white liberals, are like at least now starting to become more radicalized and at least willing to post about things that are outside their comfort zone. They're all willing to make a stand. Part of it is because they're publicly being shamed into doing so, but at the same time, like at least they're they're taking a stand. They're making they're either making a public statement. Some of the statements are obviously better than others, but at the same time, everyone is at least saying something, and everyone is acknowledging this is a fucked up situation. This is a fucked up world, a fucked up system, and that regardless of what your lane is, you have to say something. Like you can't yeah, stay silent. I think the order that you're saying these in makes a lot of sense. Learn and then argue. Like, don't yeah. go spout off to people without educating yourself at least a little bit first. Because um, don't it doesn't help the movement if you sound like a dumbass in an argument. <laughs> and and there are a lot of resources already out there. There's a lot of responses. So my thing, my suggestion would be if you're constantly hearing all lives matter. You're constantly hearing what about black on black crime? What about the cops that are being hurt in these demonstrations? There are a lot of resources already that people have already written up responses to all these questions. So just mm-hmm. go ahead and find those, copy and paste them onto a notepad doc or a word doc. And then the second anybody posts them, the second you post anything and you get a comment that says all lives matter, post just stock response. Like that's the least you can do. Like that's yeah. that's the way to take care of yourself so you're not constantly arguing with people online as I've been doing for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> you just take that time to create a little spreadsheet, create a doc. Maybe we'll make one and share it with people and stuff. But there's already, there's already a lot of responses out there. They're better worded than anything that you can say probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to take that into account. You don't have to create an argument for you because a lot of other people have already done that work. All you have to do is just copy and paste it. Mm-hmm. alternate idea hit the gym hit the gym hard get your macros right take your creatine take your protein powders get super buff get hot as hell sick abs 
get those pre-made responses tattooed on your abs <laughs> become an instagram influencer <laughs> so then everybody that's looking at your sexy ass body is also seeing these responses nice oh why 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 is all lives matter problematic i don't know look at how sexy his shoulders look oh there it is i see why <laughs> is that your plan yeah i'm working on it i've been is that, why, is, that, is that why you don't have an instagram <laughs> is because we're just gonna wait for the big reveal and it's gonna be that that's all the responses yeah um yeah don't be afraid to post don't be afraid to talk to people don't be afraid you're to alienate some people if if your friends don't respond if you have family members who are cops or have cop friends or something like that and they're like you if you say that you're not going to be invited to thanksgiving don't fucking go to thanksgiving it sucks <laughs> but like this is the time where like that's the least you can do is alienate yourself from your family for the cops. <laughs> one, one thing i've noticed with my it, this might be different for different families i'm sure it is but with my family um i've called out their bullshit and the older people in my family plenty of times in, within the last few years and they're fucking cowards like they're just talking about that shit because they're regurgitating what they heard on fox news or from some of their other friends and they have nothing to back it up they don't even believe it that strongly so as soon as you press on it a little bit they fold they're just like oh let's not talk about politics yep. at thanksgiving like they they don't actually care about this shit they're not educated in it there's no um they can't cite any like real world examples that add up to anything that matters and I mean, for a lot of these white people that have lived in like the suburbs and shit their whole lives and been like fairly affluent, they've never even interacted with people that they're talking about. And and if you have any kind of influence, if you're a outdoor person, hiking influence, even if you just have like your personal Facebook or Instagram or whatever, just post about it. If you care about this stuff, post about it. It's been it's great. Share resources, you know, expand some of these resources, share some of these protests, share some of these funds that you can donate, share some stuff from POC groups. Um, just do that stuff. Um, be like second chance, you know, that's the great. <laughs> it's just for anyone who doesn't know, second chance posted something about Black Lives Matter. And if you followed his channel, he's just like a very happy-go-lucky guy. I remember when Jordan and I first discovered him, we were just kind of like amazed at how much like PMA he had, had that positive mental attitude and stuff. And um, But he's just been going so hard on calling people out and calling them, screaming at them online and stuff. And that's, that's to me, is very heartwarming to see. Like I love it. I love very it. Very nice and cute. And he's just like straight up telling people to go fuck themselves on Instagram. Did he call someone a stupid bitch or did I just fantasize that? <laughs> I, I that. think yeah, he did. He did say like, fuck Trump, fuck Biden. And then called a bunch of people on who responded with shitty All Lives Matter post and told them to go fuck themselves. Yeah. And that's, you need that energy. You need that kind of attitude to have. Like, you just need to yeah. go on all, all in. And a lot of people are going to make the argument that, like, oh, using controversial language or being too aggressive is just going to put people off from these things. Like, those people are just already going to be put off. You're not going to, you're never going to finesse anybody into agreeing, into not being racist or not putting racist shit. Like, that's not going to work. Yeah, you can beat them down enough to where they don't talk about it in public anymore, though, and they yeah. just go into their little hate hermit crab shells and just never affect any of us ever again. Yeah, and it's the same thing in the outdoors. Like if you if that happens, if you're hiking with someone who's being shitty, call them out on it. You know, like it's it sucks and it's uncomfortable at times, but I think we're starting to realize that a lot of our discomfort and a lot of our our feelings of, of not wanting to get into arguments in outdoor spaces, that shit's gone. That's the outdoors. We started this podcast with it's calling wanting not the outdoors to not be political and not be politicized and how we hated that argument. And we're at that point now. Like if you're outdoors, the outdoors is no longer an apolitical space. Like there's that's no more apolitical spaces anywhere, period. Yeah. yeah. Just you you have now sort of a moral obligation to engage in this stuff and unfortunately and it's, it, it might make you uncomfortable and it might be difficult but it's a lot harder for people of color and keep in mind some of those stuff we talked about i think on the last episode too of like it's not all like just pure hate too like if you're hiking with somebody and you there's like a black person and some like well-meaning liberal asking them like yeah um, how they take care of their hair on the trail like check in with that person and see like are, are you okay with this guy asking you these questions or do you want me to tell him to fuck off like i'll tell him to fuck off for you yeah i think that's something that some dudes are used to already with kind of stepping in between creeps and their female friends or at least you should be familiar with that if you're a guy because it's something you should do 
where you check in like, Hey, is this guy like bothering you? Or do you like the way he's talking to you? And then like, cause yeah. they could get assaulted or something if they stand up for themselves. And we, we need to be doing the same thing as yeah. I mean, the term allies is becoming so like goofy, but <laughs> like, if you do truly want to be an ally to somebody, like check in with them, make sure they feel comfortable. Don't be weird about it. I mean, yeah. I mean, Jose, don't make a big deal of it. Don't yeah, yeah, virtue yeah. signal that you're like, I'm, I'm an ally. I'm here for you to take care of <laughs> right. you. It's a safe space. Do you want to hike with me? You're safe with me. Don't they'll, do that. They'll know that because of your safety pin. Um. <laughs> no, they'll know that because of your fucking tattoos on your abs, Jordan. That's true. No one does the safety pin thing anymore. No. God, that was so stupid. Let's not bring that up. Um, anyway. But hold on. I, I, <laughs> Do you guys have any advice for like how you could like kind of check in on someone and but without being that making that like a weird race thing or a gender thing? Yeah, literally what you said about how you checked in. That's a great way okay. to do it. At least for me, that's that would be like if I was hiking, I was feeling uncomfortable and I had a white friend who just she was literally just said like very calmly and casually, like, hey, is that okay? Do you want me to say anything? Like I can say something if you don't want to say anything. Like that's that's fucking great. Like that's that's a perfect thing. You're asking the person who might be affected by this how they feel about it and you're offering your support without making yourself the center of it. Like you're just saying, like, if you don't feel comfortable saying anything, I'm glad I'm happy to step in for with with you or for you. Yeah. Okay. For a ball, um, how about as a as a lady hiker? Yeah, I don't know. I think I agree, but I I I want to also give people like even as a white person, if my, even if my friend was okay with something shitty that somebody was saying, I would hope that I would also still hold the authority to like call people out even if they're saying like racist bullshit and it's not like I'm not a POC, but it's still fucking stupid and could be offensive to someone else. Like I should still feel um, empowered to to call that shit out you know even and 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 I think that goes with what you were saying earlier Jordan about like you have to be comfortable calling out these things even with like yeah your racist relatives who are like oh I would never say that if if there was one of those people was around you know if there was a black person here I wouldn't say that like we we have to be more comfortable I think calling that out yeah. even when there's not like somebody right next to us to stand up for I'm gonna say you're you're probably going to fuck up. You're probably going to not do it right. But the very least you have to go into the mindset of being like, if I see ever see this happening, I will say something or I will do something about it. Mm -hmm. I may not necessarily do exactly the right thing, but you have to be in that mindset of like going into it beforehand of just knowing that you would, you will start stepping up for that. Yeah. Um, there are some, some of those other simple things. Um, the one that that's kind of goes along with part of the arguing with people and getting into these discussions is um, record people like, I think we've now shown how powerful that is, like having footage of these situations. Um, Christian Cooper being a still alive, the black birder who is still alive because he was recording this woman, like, and, and how much she's now had repercussions. Literally the country being set on fire because of a video of a black man being murdered by the police. Like, and even, but even in small scale situations, like recording people and recording these racist encounters, whether they're on trail, whether they're off trail and you're and probably like recording these situations and making sure that there is going to be some accountability later on goes a long way. I think be careful with, uh, it doesn't apply there's like the recording laws that vary from state to state but i think for the most part most states have like at least one party consent laws in terms of recording and so like record if you see the cops arresting someone record them like if you see someone being yelling racist slurs or shit just record them like keep yourself safe but at the same time like let let just don't let that go without any witnesses dude i didn't tell you guys this i don't think but i was on a bike ride the other day um and downtown albuquerque is like totally or it's open back up now, but it was like totally shut down by the cops because they were so worried about riots and stuff. So the only people downtown basically were homeless people and cops. And uh, you could still ride your bike through. You just couldn't get a car in. So I was riding my bike through and there was like six cops surrounding this homeless guy on the ground. Um, so I stopped and I just hung out across the street and had my phone out ready to record and was staring at them. And it I feel like it helped. I don't, I like, I can't really know what would have happened if I wasn't there, but they kept looking over their shoulder at me and then looking back at him and then looking over their shoulder at me and then back at him. And it's like, Hey, that was so easy. All I had to do is sit there across the street yeah. and just be a witness to whatever could have went on. And it ended up being fine. They ended up calling the fire department. It was actually really funny because the guy wasn't cooperating with the cops at all. 
and then some firemen showed up and he immediately was just like instantly fully cooperative with them like told him his name and like his medical conditions and stuff <laughs> because and then the cops left and when the cops left i took off so it was easy it took you know six seven yeah. minutes out of my day and use that use that white privilege yeah to be a witness yeah. The mm-hmm. ACLU has an app that it, not for every state, but for most states has it that you can download. It's super easy to use. I downloaded it uh, a few weeks ago. Um, haven't thankfully needed to use it, but you basically, it just records any encounter you might have and then sends it to the ACLU office, um, to the local affiliate. It, you can either, in the, if you're being arrested, it'll record that. You can put that down as you're being arrested and you can put that, or if you're witnessing something going on, police harassing someone, you can send that and automatically send it to the ACLU office. Um, you don't necessarily need to use it on your like dumb racist uncle who's saying stupid <laughs> shit. Um, if, you, if it's more for like cop encounters and stuff, but just using your regular phone camera, which most people have now, um, instead of like doing some shitty hiking blog, turn that camera around until yeah. like, we, we also like with the confederate i don't think we ever thing. we'd ever i don't think we ever brought it up on the podcast but there was that teen vogue article about how to safely and ethically film police misconduct um and yeah. the final i think the final step is to is to like use something like the aclu app or another uh basically like know your platforms and know the best place don't just like post it on twitter and hope it goes viral um but it yeah. has some good like practical steps for like what you should actually be doing in the video like you talk you know introduce like what's going on and say like what time it is and and basically know your rights and um like if the cops ask you to walk away, like film your feet walking away, stuff like that, like actual tips for um, the actual video that you should create um, to make it more effective as a piece of potential evidence. Also be careful about filming stuff and just like wildly posting it to social media and stuff, Um, especially at these protests and things, because people can get in trouble. Yeah. Um, Especially if anything violence going on or like there's a organizer in Albuquerque named Clifton White that just got arrested um for violating parole but i mean like realistically he got arrested for helping organize these blm protests um but they you know everyone's posting everything to social media and they see him and i guess something he was doing was violating parole and um he got arrested the next day while he was out shopping with his family Mm -hmm. so be careful about just posting like especially stuff with people's faces in it luckily we're all wearing masks right now which kind of helps but there's a lot there's apps out there that will blur people's faces if you feel compelled to like just post something about the protest that you're at or whatever if you're not necessarily like recording an incident but you just want to you know publicize that you're participating whatever like yeah you never know who the fuck is in that video and what might come of that so there's apps that can blur people's faces out yeah yeah great tips um, the other stuff is, is donate. If you have the financial means to do so, support a lot of these uh, Black Lives Matters groups, support uh, outdoor POC groups. Um, there's a ton of them out there. Um, whatever thing you're into, literally just Google like climbing POC group or backpacking POC group or things like that. And then if they have a donated money option, which most of them do, just give them money, like give as much as you can. Right now, if you can give to the national bail funds, there's a lot of protesters, a lot of comrades being arrested and we need to get them out of jail, get them out of prison. Um, need to give them as much financial support as possible in order to make these outdoor spaces more accessible to people. We need to fund the organizations that are making those things happen in the Bay area, actually nationwide. There's a group for Latinos called Latino outdoors. Um, they do a lot of cool, like hiking groups, group trips, obviously not now with the pandemic stuff going on, but they're a great organization. If you want to support, there's like, um, um, Brown people, black girls climb, there are melanin base camp there's so there's a lot ton of these different groups so just find whatever you're interested whatever you want to support and then just give them as much money as you can and they're a better um if you're if you're someone that's kind of new to this sort of activism or just this awareness of what's going on um they're probably a better these groups are better to ask like how can i help than like just your random token black friend that's probably tired of hearing it from everybody right now um like it's it's not that people don't want to help educate but i think there's a huge amount of people like just getting bombarded by their white friends asking how can i help and it's it's just too much to think about right now for some people so ask these organizations it's their job to educate people so Mm -hmm. yep at the very least give them a fucking follow because then you can know even if you're not in a position to donate like you'll know if they have events going on or what sort of stuff they have 
they can maybe introduce issues to you that you don't know about, stuff like that. And then the last thing I have, my suggestion for what people can do is something that Jordan's already touched upon is get yourself on the front lines, get, use that white privilege, get on, go protest, go march, go short solidarity with black people, people of color, make sure your presence there. Don't fucking co-opt the protest. Don't make it about yourself. Basically just say like, what is this organization? What is this protest about? What can I do? Um, how can I best help? Not, not make it about yourself. Um, yeah protest occupy something um if if you happen to be holding a a flaming cocktail of some sort and it happens to leave your hands <laughs> um you know that's up to you that's up to you actually i yes and um people need to be careful about um being being a white person going to these protests and um I guess this goes a step further than just co-oping the protest, but in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is don't don't do shit that's going to get black people tear gassed or arrested. Yeah. Um, follow their lead. Follow the organizer's lead. Um, if there are people that happen to be, you know, taking over a police station and maybe burning it down, help them. But <laughs> don't be the person that tries to turn the protest into that. Yeah. Um, because you're at less risk of being arrested for this or tear gassed or beaten with a billy club or God forbid that you have been in legal trouble in the past and then you get arrested at these protests and yeah. then you're locked up for life or something because of dumbass sentencing rules. Or literally being assassinated later on. Yeah, like the, some of the Ferguson organizers. Yep. Um, yeah. So be be mindful of that. Like if, if shit does start to get wild, like, I think we've talked about like we all support that that's we we support the protesters without asterisks um like whatever they choose to do to display their anger we support um but you don't want to be a white person coming in co-opting these protests and turning them into that if that's not what they're trying to do mm -hmm. yeah. um so that's that's my tips for white people um i don't want to just only give tips to white people because people of color this is this is our time as well too and there are some things that we can do better um from uh, just quickly going over the things um do the same things as white people do all that same thing <laughs> learn argue record people who are also donate get ourselves on the front line obviously these are all with like kind of increasingly levels of difficulty and um um, not everyone can do all these things, but just do as many of these things you can at the very least learn. Same thing, like as a person of color, I'm not super great about learning about indigenous groups. Like I definitely could do a better job. I'm not super great about learning about the historical struggles of black people. It's something I'm trying to work on, um, trying to learn more about, um, especially in the context of the outdoors, trying to read some more of those books and resources. And we have to fight for one another people of color we have to fight for other people of color we have to fight for black people that's one thing that's really cool seeing at some of these black lives matter protests that i've been going to is seeing like latinx for blm yeah um, yellow peril for blm indigenous people for blm because because when it's our time and it, at some point it will be our time as well too and we have to hope that they step up for us as well too so we have to step up for one another yeah, I think that's super important. And that's been really cool to see here because there's not a ton of black population in New Mexico. There's a lot of Latino um, and there's a lot of indigenous and they're all coming out for Black Lives Matter because they understand that that means, you know, the tide gets lifted for them as well. Yeah. Um, the other thing too I had was like, if, you, if you're a person of color and you are into outdoorsy stuff and you've never had any problem with backpacking or climbing or cycling or any of these issues, which is probably not true, but if you happen to have never have been, for, if you've been fortunate enough to never have any issues in the outdoors, um, shut the fuck up. Like don't, <laughs> don't go on another person of color's post uh, talking about these issues and then talk about how you've never experienced that. Just because you as an individual have never experienced that as a person of color doesn't mean that other people doesn't have it and doesn't mean that there's not larger systemic issues. That's one thing I've been seeing a little bit of and it's fucking pisses me off. Like I've seen some people talking about like Hispanic people going into some of these like hiking groups and talking about like, oh, I've never really had any problems. I'm like, yeah, that's that's dope. I'm so glad you you feel safe and secure in this community. Not everyone feels that way. Don't shoot down the experiences of other just because you've been fortunate enough to not have those issues. That's so fucking weird. I I I wonder if that's like <laughs> if that's like women who like don't believe that 
they like don't believe in feminism they're like what do you mean i love men i don't understand what she's talking about like shut up i think that's that's pretty common in a lot of different communities though where like i think some of the like worst bootlickers can be some of the like POCs or immigrants that did manage to like do the whole bootstraps thing and pull themselves out of poverty. And they can be the most like, I don't want to speak to their struggle and their experience, but in my noticing how they talk that I've interacted with people, they can really be down on their own race or their own people. Yeah. And And that's a bummer. And it might just be purely because they're lucky. Like that that's all it is. is For a lot sure. of times it's like you you may have done a lot of hard work and stuff, but we've all worked hard when we've all had these experiences. Like yeah. That it's sometimes you just get lucky and you have never had to experience that. And that doesn't mean that you that gives you the right to shut anyone else's experience down or to talk put them down. The other thing I have too, if you're if you're a person of color and you want to get into the outdoors, join some of these outdoor groups, the ones we've mentioned before about supporting Latino outdoors, Brown Girl Climb, Melanin, Base Camp, Brown Ascenders, whatever thing you are like even remotely into, there's probably a POC outdoor group for it. Like there's for skiing, mountaineering, snowboarding. Um, just just join a group. It's very intimidating to try to get into the outdoors, especially if you've never grown up around that, if you've never like spent any time backpacking or hiking. But there's groups that are literally designed to help people get into those things. Like Latino Outdoors is fucking awesome. Um, there's just a bunch of resources and more um, groups that you can join to be a part of in order to actually make that, make that, take that step out, feel comfortable being outdoors. And it's also just meeting other people like you. The other thing too, I had um, the last two things I had was just like taking self-defense classes goes a long way. Um, it's very sad and unfortunate that we live in that kind of world, but um, I've, I've not done this myself and something I do want to do once we are allowed to like actually kind of do more fitness gym stuff. Um, I just being comfortable physically being able to defend yourself in the outdoors or just in general goes a really long way. What I've heard of people say about like making you feel more secure in the outdoors. It's, it's not traditionally felt like a safe space for us. It's not felt like you have to worry about getting attacked or being lynched or being murdered or anything like that. Um, you but just taking the the time to give yourself some more tools in order to feel safer goes a long way it's a it's just a great way to learn and to feel better yeah knowing Kav mcgraw adds nothing to your base weight (laughs) (laughs) knowledge is free and that doesn't weigh anything um yeah just do just take some self-defense classes and then the last thing is just like get outside man we we belong out there too you know it's like it's, it's kind of seen as a the purview of white people and we just got to try to change that we got to keep fighting for those spaces if his own rights were being trampled upon as the rights of negroes are being trampled upon he would use a different course of action to protect his rights what course of action <laughs> uh, i have never seen white people who would sit who would who would approach uh a solution to their own problems, non-violently or passively. It's only when they are so-called uh, fighting for the rights of Negroes that they uh, non-violently, pass- passively, and lovingly, you know, approach the situation. But when the whites themselves are attacked, they believe in defending themselves and things of that sort. But those type of whites who are always going to jail with Negroes are the ones who tell Negroes to be loving and be kind and be patient and be nonviolent and turn the other cheek. 